Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And this week, we're going to go into the sensational media realm. Mm. Or, uh, I mean, we're also going to do a journal review, but they're connected. Um, so many of you have probably heard uh, in, in the last week or so, week or two, uh, there's been a lot of media reports about the killer whales off of Spain that are seemingly attacking. And we say seemingly because we don't know that they're necessarily attacking intentionally aggressively or not. We'll discuss that. But they are interacting with boats uh, and they've kind of escalated. Um, so before it was just damage, but now there are a couple of them have been sunk. So it's renewed the interest that the, these, the, these interactions started in 2020 uh, and the more recent um, increases in it have garnered more attention. So there's been a lot of um, interesting headlines in the media uh, of referencing why they're doing it. Um, and so what we wanted to do was go back to the paper that was written in, uh, actually, when was it written? It this one was also 2022, I think. 20, yeah, because I was gonna say it was in 2020, uh, 2021. <clears throat> oh, yeah, accepted, so it was, May, accepted May 2022. Yeah, it was so, published yeah. in 2022. Yeah, so it was published in 2022, um, but the attacks started in 2020. Um, so that gives you, we're going to give you the background as to what's going on with these animals and then lead you into what's happening with the media uh, and the story that's being told right now and what's, what, where the differences are and um, kind of just talk about why we don't, we don't, we don't know exactly what's going on. Let's just say that from the beginning. <laughs> uh, so we're trying to figure out, you know, why and researchers are trying to figure out why. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit about the media and what's being said right now and um, kind of discuss what that means and if, you know, what's going on. And for those of you who are not listening right at this moment that we publish it, we are publishing this in late May of 2023. So if you're listening to this in the future times, um, I'm sure you can go back and read the, the news articles as well if this is not still going on, but just for context as to when we are actually talking about this in, um, in a little more detail. I always forget that this, you know, these go out and then they're just out there so that you can listen to them like five years later and be like, oh my gosh, is this happening now? No. <laughs> so if you are, if that's you, go back and read about the news if this is not still happening because right. it's pretty cool. Um, it is It is a very interesting, I think the thing that, that caught my eye for it is, you know, it's the, the intersection of policy, conservation, safety, research, and media and how that gets portrayed and what this narrative of the story is, right? That's really what we're kind of going to be talking about as we, as we move forward. Um, what is driving the narrative and of what people are understanding about what's going on. And that has implications for all of the things I've just said, <laughs> for the whales and for people. Um, so we're going to give a little bit of background. So this is happening on the Iberian, or not on the Iberian Peninsula, because if they were on it, then they wouldn't be whales, but <laughs> in the waters around the Iberian Peninsula. Um, which is, uh, and we're basically, we're take, we're talking about the Strait of Gibraltar. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how relatively tiny <laughs> the Strait of Gibraltar is. It separates, it's the Atlantic and the Mediterranean Sea, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's this tiny little passageway uh, that is, that has a lot of uh, ship traffic and is increasing as many places are. Yeah, so it's basically the quickest way to get around <laughs> yeah. in that area. Um, so it's it's basically the main corridor for um, for shipping and also for pleasure and transit and things like that. Yeah, yeah, which is a, and it's a, right where these animals are. So and they're there in the spring and summer. So that's when everybody else is there too, because <laughs> you know nicer times of year. So it creates this nexus of human and, and animal uh, interactions, like more likely to occur, right? Mm -hmm. um so you know they start off with the paper uh and this paper is i mean read it forgot to do that um killer whales of the strait of gibraltar an endangered subpopulation showing a disruptive behavior and this is in marine mammal science 
um, by Esteban et al. Um, there's quite a few authors on that. Uh, and again, this was published in 2022. So they talk about human interactions. That of course, human any any type of interaction can either be neutral, beneficial, or detrimental. Uh, and so this is human animal interactions. And first, I was like, beneficial. <laughs> Usually, don't talk about human interactions as being beneficial. Um, either they don't, you know, there's no one gets hurt or somebody's getting hurt. Um, but I forgot, like in this case, you, you do have times where, um, especially in the past, where uh, dolphins or whales have worked with fishermen to like help, you know, bring them to the nets and then the, the dolphins get the um, the extras and whatnot. Um, so that's an, a, a case of a beneficial relationship that <laughs> has been documented mm -hmm. in a few different places. Yeah, exactly. Um, but these human actions uh, generally cause negative things uh, to marine animals and animals in general, uh, including behavioral changes, like you know they leave their habitat, their normal habitats, um, interruption of foraging activity. We've talked about that a lot with um, southerners and killer whales here in the Salish Sea uh, and other areas. <clears throat> um, adoption of new behavioral patterns, whether those be good or bad, uh, changes to aggressive behaviors. Uh, and the interesting one that they brought up here was uh, Asian elephants uh, started being aggressive towards people because of the degradation of their traditional migratory routes. So I don't know if that was <clears throat> aggressive in that they were angry about it or aggressive because they it changed their migration routes so that they interacted with them more. Yeah, good point, right? Are you now overlapping with more people so you're just more likely to interact with them similar to this situation in the Strait of Gibraltar? Right. Um, yeah, good point. <clears throat> but so, you know, there's lots of different things that can happen. Um, and so here, uh, for the, uh, the killer whales here generally eat bluefin tuna, uh, and this will become important in there and how fast they can go. Um, but what's really interesting and that both Kat and I did not know is that this is a distinct population from other Northeast Atlantic populations or subpopulations. So you have general large populations and then you might have subsections within that. So, um, like the southern resident killer whales and northern killer northern resident killer whales, I think are technically subpopulations. I think. Correct. Um, yeah. So there's just smaller groupings of a larger population. Like they're not their own thing, but they're separate. And so similarly, these guys, this uh, group in the Strait of Gibraltar, uh, have been shown from photo ID, from genetics, and ecological markers like stable isotopes and contaminant loads. You can see that they're different than other subpopulations in the um, areas near them. And similar, these guys are even smaller subpopulation than our southern resident killer whales. They are only, in 2011, um, they were only 39 individuals. Uh, and that's the most recent update. I mean, I think they have more of an update like now now, but um, as of when the paper was written, that was the last real update they had for mm -hmm. um, the population, which is uh, another interesting point. Um, they did have conservation measures. Uh, the Spanish government put conservation measures in 2017 because it was um, listed as critically endangered on the IUCN red list. Um, but interestingly, the mitigation measures were still not implemented as of 2022 when that paper was written. So. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, and that's like, again, the, 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 the intersection between science and conservation and policy, right? So great, we have these things, we know what they need, but then they just don't get done, right? There's no political will um, or uh, motivation to to do it. Um, so Well, and the problem with this particular location is that you're having to deal with several different areas, um, several different <clears throat> municipalities, quite a few different sectors um, that would all have to be in agreement and complying with a conservation plan. So I also understand, like, especially in Europe, it's a little bit different than we have here in the States where, you know, each country is, a lot of them are like the size of one of our states, so, but those are unique right. individual countries with their own, own rules, own laws. And you're also dealing with the waterways, which are challenging at the best of times to determine who's responsible for doing what, where, when you're actually on the water. So a lot of that does go into implementing these types of conservation plan as well, because you're dealing with multiple different governmental systems. Um, and especially with the COVID pandemic mm -hmm. occurring in 2020, if they approved it in 2027, or sorry, 2017, you know, there's a couple of years in there where they might've gotten something rolling, but 
pretty much everything would have come to a standstill for that entire year. Um, Most of Europe was completely locked down. So bearing that in mind as well, there was a huge kind of wrench put into this process during that time. So just to bear that in mind. If they start that in 2017, sometimes, you know, the policy takes a couple of years to get going. So it would have started exactly. like, right when the pandemic started and then everything got foobarred. Um, Correct. So just to bear that in mind for context. Yeah. And and the reference, again, is very similar to here in the Salo Sea with the Southern residents, right? We have can- the Canadi- can- can- Canadian, there we go, um, and U.S. <laughs> uh, and then we have federal versus provincial versus state governments that are all working in this area and so how do you make those all match up so it's a this is a very similar situation just in terms of the size of the population the subpopulation critically endangered and all these stakeholders and different municipalities being trying to work together to do the right thing right mm-hmm. um and so similarly they said um you know there's the reason why they're critically endangered is they have low number of adults they have low recruitment right so birthing is probably not super high um, and they will continue to decline if things don't improve, right? And that has been said in many ways, like uh, for the Southern residents as well. So in this area, humans have overlapped with them since Roman times. And I love that in this paper, they referenced a, like a Roman text. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. Um, but they've been, um, they know uh, that it was documented then that killer whales were there um, that, and that when killer whales were there, tuna that came to their nets increased. Uh, and in some cases, show that they herded them, the killer whales herded them into the nets. So there was some kind of interaction positively, it seems, um, with Romans in the past. So these these animals have been here for a very long time. Right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so currently, uh, how they feed is they actively hunt or depredate on longline fisheries in the Strait of Gibraltar. So either actively just normally hunting for the bluefin tuna as they normally would, or using the cheap food uh, that you can get. You just, they just kind of hang out and wait and see the, the fishing boats are there, go and pull one off the lines um, when uh, they catch one. There have been uh, deep lacerations and even some amputations on killer whales in the area that were thought to be from fishing gear or fishermen's fatal response, which I thought was a very interesting way to put it. <laughs> like, yep. Just the, the terminology, instead of saying like, they you know, they hurt them, whatever, like the fatal response from the fishermen. Uh, so fishermen, you know, can get understandably upset when the animals are taking fish from their lines. So uh, unfortunately, sometimes it ends with a negative outcome for the for the whales. Um, and then they, they gave some other context. So this is a sensational thing. It really is. Like this is, and it is not normal. Um, there are no reported deadly attacks of killer whales in the wild, like it's not been known to happen. Um, they have given uh, a, a few cases in the past where things were, uh, orcas have been interacting with boats. Um, in the Essex, which is the the real story of Moby Dick, basically, uh, a sperm whale sank the Essex and then they got into lifeboats um, and apparently a killer whale also tried to sink one of those small boats. Uh, and if you haven't read that book, uh, In the Heart of the Sea, uh, it, you should read it. It's really, really good. Um, it's about the story of the Essex and, the, and how the men survived, or some of them. Um, and then uh, there were two more, one in 1972, about a thousand miles um, off the Galapagos, and then in 1976 in Brazil, where uh, um, Orca interacted with the boat negatively. Uh, but again, you know, I'm not really sure if they were damaged too much. Um, well, it says that the t- the, it said two sunken vessels were attributed to oh, that's right. So they're, they're basically assuming that those animals and those contacts actually sank the boats. Correct. So, yes, <laughs> there was damage. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so those two were sunk. Um, and, but again, that's the, you know really rare <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. Um, and um, there was more recently, I didn't know this one, there was a southern resident killer whale that frequently interacted with vessels and floating planes in a playful and inquisitive though there was damage way. Um, and then the killer whale was accidentally killed by a tugboat. Yeah. Yeah, I actually wasn't, I wasn't aware about that one, but I guess that was, that was also before my time in the San Juan. So I think I might not have been as aware of the Southern residents at that point living in the UK. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Well, Cause that, that also brings to the point he wasn't, you know, killed because of his interactions or whatever. He was killed because he liked to play around boats too much and you're eventually going to get hit by one. Right. So that's attracting them to those things is not a good thing. It's the same thing as feeding deer 
you know, around your house or whatever, they're going to be more on the roads and then they could get hit or they get those things like that. So that interaction um, can inadvertently end in the death of the whale um, mm -hmm. instead of, you know, on purpose. Yeah. So, but other than that, there's, there, those are a couple sunken vessels. There was no deadly attacks and that they, and people got killed by, by killer whales in the wild, as far as we know. And in the mm -hmm. wild, let me <laughs> reference that. So, um, so then we're going to start going into um, what's happening here in the uh, little bit of background um, before we get into the actual sightings. Um, so, the basically what they're doing since 2020, right? They started in in May. The first interaction was in May 2020, and then another in July, and then a few more, um, and then it spread uh, along the Portuguese coast and northern Spain and uh, Galicia. Um, they were, um, again, the, these animals are normally seen in the Strait of Gibraltar in the spring and summer. Um, they are striking the rudders at unprecedented rates with often agonistic outcomes, <laughs> negative outcomes. Um, so basically what happened is, and this is a good story of this thing is happening. Okay, let's get a work group together. Right. Um, they, because of the increase in the numbers during 2020 and the spread of it throughout the coast, uh, a working group was created with local institutions, international marine mammal experts, and administrations. Objective, to, uh, to, and their objective was to better understand the nature and scope of the interactions, and propose mitigation measures. Um, these, uh, the, and this is also taken a little bit differently. And a lot of times, this kind of stuff is not publicized because we don't want to create panic or or um, had things misunderstood. But in this case, they did publicize it because they were worried about you know, people's safety um, and wanting to be able to know better what's going on, right? Is this just one or two times or is this you know, a consistent trend? So they publicized it, um, the attacks, in order to create information channels so that they could get information to the public, to maritime people, to uh, different organizations, and also get that information back, right? So they can also find out about more more attacks that are happening. I will just add one thing in here too, to bear in mind as we go through this, just in terms of general context with what was going on in the world. Mm -hmm. 2020, we saw pretty much across the globe, we saw a massive increase in vessel traffic because right. everybody was being encouraged to stay in their bubbles, stay in their pods, not in, you know interact with a lot of additional people. And for many people, the way that they could get outdoors safely was on a boat or in an RV on land or something like that. So bear in mind that 2020 did see a massive increase in people using waterways and, and being on vessels. So this again kind of contributes to why they might've felt the need to publicize this because there's a lot of people on the water in this, especially in this year. And especially interesting to note that like a lot of people who were new to being on the water. For a lot well, of people, 2020 yeah. was an excuse to do something they'd always wanted to do and buy a boat and get a boat. et cetera. <laughs> so just bear, just bear this in mind in terms of, you know, why they were taking some of these actions. There was a lot of people on the water and quite a few of those people probably had very little experience in actually being on the water and, and how to handle something like this that might've been kind of a, a freak experience that has never really been documented before. Well, and even super experienced uh, captains have never had an orca come to their boat you know like exactly it's, so that's what so, i mean yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's almost more important to to inform these people because the vast majority of them are not experienced and might have very little idea of, of what to potentially do to problem solve something like this that's very right. rare and like i said and for somebody who's just on the water like they're gonna have even less knowledge about what they might try or what to do and they're just gonna freak out because understandably like kind of yeah. scary. so just again just yeah. kind of overall context of what we're dealing with at this time in history too yeah no, that's a very good point because it's a it's an interesting nexus of that as well. What you know, the unique things that are happening at that time when this is going mm -hmm. on. Um, so these work group, but you know, again, I, I do think it is a very good in, uh, thing that was showing that people can work together, right? That the the right thing mm -hmm. is get a bunch of different people together from different countries and uh, around the area, experts, and figure try to figure out what's going on, or at least how you can minimize the problems to the whales and people. Um, so they looked at the type of boat that was being attacked, or, you know, the, the types of boats, um, the rudder, because um, that does, uh, the type of rudder uh, with how much damage happens uh, matters. Um, 
And uh, they either had that explained by the captain of the people that did it, or they actually, somebody observed it uh, from the working group observed it if they were able to bring the boat in and they could look at what the damage was. Um, they had those community or citizen scientists reports as well. They had testimonies and videos or pictures because they guarantee you that people who are, that's happening to them, they're whipping their cell phones out <laughs> and <laughs> taking pictures and videos of what's going on. So this is also an important part of it is that we have more, more data and more physical evidence of what's going on now because of the technology we have. But mm-hmm. otherwise it would just be whatever they said happened. And not that people don't re- can't remember things correctly, but people are generally not super great about really remembering details. Um, Especially under stress. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a documented phenomenon. We are not good at, at repeating exactly what happened because our brains will just try to fill in gaps if we forget them because we're stressed or you know, scared or whatever. So it is handy to have those pictures and videos to go along with it to be a bit more definitive about what was going on. Um, they did have some divers get in the water and get photo ID shots in the beginning of August. Uh, and so uh, I, I, I don't, again, there hasn't been that m- much on these animals in the past. Uh, I'm not really sure why uh, they, with it being in an area where there are so many people, um, but they don't have a, like a super long-term idea on them. Um, so they have been naming them and they named all the ones that interacted, uh, interacting individuals were given the first name Gladys and then followed by an individual name to distinguish them. So you know that anyone that has Gladys in front of it is one that has interacted with boats before mm-hmm. or in the, and they in were, the vicinity. Yeah, I will say too, they were able to use some of that contributed um, like cell phone footage and, and photographs that were taken during attacks. They were also able to use that to identify the whales. Yes. in some cases as well. So in addition to divers going in, they also had, um, you know, if, if the footage was good enough and, yeah. and clear enough, they could actually use the video itself to to identify some of the whales, which was fantastic. Yeah, and, the, and this is really important um, for the, especially this type of behavior um, is to understand, to be able to understand what's happening, we need to understand who's doing it. And, you know, if they're related, if they're not, you know, because killer whales in general are, for the most part tied closely with kin um usually in a matriline right and how loose that matriline is is depends on the population but um so it you know it's it's helpful to know who's doing it are they like best friends or are they related how are they learning from each other if they are that kind of thing and that all goes from knowing the individuals so that's kind of the backstory. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get into the actual attacks and then, and then um, what they know about it and then talk about what's happening in the media um, now. So we will be right back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. This is Cindy, the research director at Pacific Mammal Research. And I wanted to take just a minute to thank you for listening and supporting our work. And I wanted to see maybe if you wanted to learn a little bit more about the background of what we do and what we see in the field and other kind of cool information that you can get by subscribing to the podcast for only $5 a month. You can get uh, ad-free episodes as well as these many episodes where we discuss the things we've seen in the field, stuff we've gone to with workshops, uh, and other little interesting tidbits of information for our subscribers only. This is a great way to help support PacMam, who we are a very small nonprofit, so every every dollar helps us continue the work that we do and provide the information and the fun podcasts that we have uh, that hopefully you guys are, are enjoying. So if you can, think about it, subscribe to the podcast and help support our work, and we hope you enjoy. All right, we're back. So now we're going to be talking about what actually happened. Um, and I would like to preface this. They did have some, uh, this was not in the paper, but this was in the media reports uh, that were out uh, in the last couple of weeks, that they, the ratio is, is only one out of every 100 boats gets some kind of interaction with a whale. So even though this is unprecedented amounts of, of attacks, it is still, you're not likely to have this happen to you if you go through it. Mm-hmm. Still at this point, mm-hmm. Right. One out of a hundred. I mean, it's, it's not one out of a million, but it's, it's not one out of 10. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good still, point. Yeah. Still relatively rare. Um, so it, this is um, for, uh, I think to basically just 2020 I actually didn't see what the time frame was. 
uh, when they stopped counting up all the um I believe this was just for the 2020 incidents because they submitted the paper in 2021. So I think this was sort of the initial response to what they were seeing that year. Yeah, they received um, it in August of 2021, so they're probably writing it earlier. So yeah, this is probably basically just 2020. Um, monthly, yeah. So there were 119 sightings. Um, 49 of those were interactions and an interaction was defined as somehow touching the boat. Uh, and for all your Finding Nemo fans, don't touch the butt. Um, so uh, that was over 56 different days. Um, so they, when they looked at who, what kind of boat they targeted the most, kind of makes sense. Um, they targeted sailing boats the most. Um, and ones that had what are called spade rudders. And this is where the rudder plate is fixed to the rudder stock only at the top of the rudder. And again, this is just kind of my thoughts or conjecture, but kind of brought up in the paper as well, that it's likely that the reason for doing that is because the, those are more easily broken. Mm. Right? There's, the more flexibility to it, there's probably, it's probably more fun to play with if that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so there were some rake marks um, on the boat. So they were actually kind of biting the boat sometimes, but mostly it was basically like kind of a blunt force trauma to the rudders where they bend them or break them. So they're putting their body into it basically, kind of like mm -hmm. breaking down a door. And they either completely detached the rudder, split it in half or bent it. Pretty strong. Um, if there are in cases where there was a semi-supported rudder, so one that has a bit more um, attachment to the either the hull or or the rudder, um, but I don't I don't know boats very well, so <laughs> at least that part of them. Um, but it had more structure than the um, than the spade rudders. Then they usually weren't damaged, but the mechanism of steering was. So that's an important thing: is that either uh, a lot of times these boats got stopped because they're. Um, the rudder was broken or the steering mechanism was broken so they couldn't steer anymore. Right. So for those of you who don't know what a rudder does on the boat, that's what it does. It basically like angles the boat one. It's like, it's like the steering wheel of the car. Effectively that's angling your boat in a particular direction to help you steer. So just for those of you who don't actually know what the rudder is for, right. um, that's also partly why this is uh, kind of important even if again like cindy said even if they don't you know break it off entirely it's it's massively disabling your ability to sail your vessel and i will say that in the strait of gibraltar as cindy mentioned it's a very narrow stretch of water and it has some really gnarly seas in there because mm -hmm. of the movement of water in there the funneling the 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 joining of the two different um currents um so you can get some incredibly wild water out here and especially if you're on a sailboat yeah. Not having scary. steerage somewhere like that is pretty scary. So yeah. just to just to throw that again, just for that kind of overall context of where we're talking about and why this is um why this is so specifically scary. so important <laughs> to right. break this exactly. part of the boat. Yeah. Um the catamarans usually were not damaged and some fishing some fishing vessels were damaged. And there was one where that like a fully attached rudder was completely broken, but they were like, that's because the wood was really old. <laughs> mm -hmm. Why that one was broken more. Um, but basically, we're talking about sailboats with those partially attached rudders that are, a bit, I think, a bit more flexible. Um, these encounters lasted anywhere from a half hour to two hour long interactions, mostly during the day, but some at night. So again, imagine being on a boat and having this animal, even if they're just playing with, with your boat, you don't know what's going to happen. Even if they're playing with it, they could accidentally damage it to the point where it sinks, right? It may not be aggressive, but it's still going to be bad for you. So imagine being out there for I mean, two hours as they, they're just playing with your boat, it could be very, very scary. Um, the average boat that they uh, went after were about, was about 12 meters, and that's about 36-ish feet, which is well, just a little bit bigger than the killer whales, right? They're like 20, 30-ish feet. I'm not mm -hmm. sure about that subpopulation, but generally. Um, so between 5 to 21 meters of the boats, and uh, the speed that they were going was at almost at six knots. Um, anywhere from three to 10 knots. And this goes back to what their prey is. The killer whales there have been known that they can endure average speeds of 7.2 knots for 30 minutes chasing bluefin tuna. If you didn't know, tuna are really fast. So um, to be able to catch them is you have to be able to have a, kind of a longer endurance. So these orcas can go after boats that are going 
a, a fair speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seem to kind of choose that speed, maybe because it is similar to what they're used to, you know, right. who knows. So they, there are 31 killer whales uh, that they have identified out there. Uh, and nine of those are, have been known to interact with, with the boats. So here's the, these are the players. We have juveniles, um, Gladys Gris, Negra, uh, Gladys Gris, and then Gladys Negra, and her, and that sibling, the sibling of Negra is P-E-Q-U-E. Um, so you have these two siblings plus this other individual that is unknown if there's related to them. Um, and then the grandmother of Negra and Peek, uh, whose name is Purbill, uh, was observed during interactions, but was not there, was not next to the boats. So she was on, in the vicinity, but standing off to the side. Mm-hmm. And then you have Gladys Blanca and her offspring, Gladys Blabris, and then two other related individuals, um, her sisters, Gladys Clara and Dalila. Um, and then the mom, Gladys Lamari, was present once but did not interact. So in both these cases, there was a, 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 the higher matriarch who was there but didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the uh, we're, we're going to talk about Gladys Blanca when we talk about um, uh, the, the media. Uh, but that's the one that has, she has sisters and then her kid is also part of, of what's going on. Um, there was only one that had an injury that was Gladys Negra, which is in the other group. Um, uh, right, the juvenile group. Juvenile group, right. Uh, and she had an open lacerated wound on the head, but it was unknown origin. Um, and they did want to note that there was not good monitoring or photo ID overall due to image quality and lack of dedicated research in recent years. So there's still a lot to be known about this population because they haven't been monitoring it in the past. Mm-hmm. It's good. So what these animals did is they approached from the stern or the back of the boat quickly and stealthily. So they basically sneak up on you. This is also terrifying. Uh, and then they would make contact, usually, you know, more of a curious, like, hey, what's this? You know, don't touch the butt. Um, they would position themselves under the boat, either laterally or vent- with their ventral region, their belly up. And so what I immediately thought of, and I, I don't know if this is true for orcas, but for dolphins, the they're they can see bifocally when they're looking down you know under their chin basically so if they want to look at you they go belly up because they can see you better um with their depth perception so mm-hmm. i'm wondering and laterally too if you're going to the side they're putting one eye directly on the boat so i'm i'm wondering if that's just like they're literally visually checking it out mm-hmm. yep um and then some of them touch the boat or tail slapped or did bubbles that kind of thing um, the next one was, so that was approach, then contact, then steering. Uh, they would contact the rudder, either pushing with their heads to make the lever movement with the bodies, or then it would turn the rudder, sometimes a whole 360 degrees, so it spins your boat. Um, at the higher vessel speed, the uh, and the more insistently the crew tried to control the wheel, the more and stronger the killer whales pushed. So again, one of those things where it's like, oh, you're, you're, when, you, when you fight against it, just it's making them fight more which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So again, that goes to knowing what you should do, right? Maybe in this case, you just stop, (laughs) which can be scary, right? What's going to happen? Then it would, then the next phase would be stopping. And this would be repeated hitting either cause the skipper to, or or to stop the boat or to slow it down. Um, And other times it only happened once the water was broken or the steering mechanism broke. So they literally couldn't go anywhere or steer at least. So they're not going to keep going forward. Mm Um, and then disinterest. So the killer whales would lose interest and leave the boat after it was stopped, or in a few cases, the excessive acceleration, which I assume they mean of the boat because it didn't wasn't clear, um, makes the animals desist. So I guess in some cases, yeah. if you're going fast enough, they just they're like, oh, okay, fine, get tired. I think yeah, especially if you're in a motorboat and you can just hit the accelerator and try right. to basically outpace them, yeah. um, they just kind of lose interest. They get tired. Oh, they're not going to stop. Fine. They just kind of zoom away from the. Um, from the interaction if they can right. obviously and that's not going to be likely on a sailboat <laughs> right that's what i was about to say i'm like that's probably why sailboats were they're going after those the most because they can actually exactly keep up with them yeah um so uh, that's kind of the in general there, it, it was a lot of variation in exactly what went on in each, each specific encounter but that's the the overall general way it happened so what they did then understanding all of this information um the mitigation measures they chose were they would do radio alerts warning of the of whale presence and for the boats to stay away 
Um, and the Spanish maritime traffic security prohibited coastal navigation by small, which means less than 15 meter sailing vessels. So basically they're telling everybody in sailboats, don't go out in this water <laughs> or small sailboats, mm -hmm. knowing that they were going after that size um, and sailing vessels in particular. Mm -hmm. So that's a good way. I mean, we, we can't, we can't make the whale stop. Like, especially be like, because again, as we sort of preface this whole thing, we don't actually know what the right. motivation is here. Exactly. So we don't know how to prevent it. Right. Um, yeah. So the best thing we can do is like, okay, just don't go out there in those, those areas because that is their home. Right. You know, it's, mm -hmm. sometimes we have to make, do something different ourselves rather than trying to change the behavior of the animals. So um, there were, so then they, they, they speculated on the motivations and this is where we're going to get into in a minute, the, um, the extra, uh, uh, the, the media that's happening now, but there, the motivations were listed as there was some punctual aversive incident that triggered this behavior, such as one of the whales getting hit by a fishing boat or, you know, that laceration caused by, on one of the animals caused um, by by human interaction. So basically, something made them get "quote unquote" angry and then retaliate. Right? Um, there's also a combination of factors, such as all the various pressures that these animals are under, with you know prey availability going down, boat interactions, fisheries uh, interactions, um, you know climate change. There's all these things that are are stressing these animals and being able to do what they normally do. And so some combination of those that's creating this behavior to, um, to happen. Um, and then also they're just naturally curious. So these uh, killer whales are very intelligent. And, um, you know, the reason why they spy hop is to literally check out what's going on at the surface, right? They lift their head out of the water so they can have their eyes out and see. So curiosity is certainly a thing that could be uh, what's going on. But they have no idea. We, 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 we have no idea. What, what, why they're doing it but those are some of the ideas that were put forth as to why it might be occurring mm -hmm. and then on top of that they you know wanted to especially note that social learning is a thing that happens in this species as, as with uh, quite a few others particularly marine mammals um that they um they can learn from each other so there there was a paper um from these authors about uh, the use and transmission of hunting techniques uh in this in this subpopulation and um, I quickly looked at that, looked at the abstract, and it was basically maternal kinship, again, natural lines, um, and that it influenced the social structure of basically who interacted with fisheries and who didn't, because there were mm -hmm. separate natural lines that did certain things. So there is, so, uh, there is a social structure, and some individuals are doing certain things and others aren't. And again, that's kind of following with some family lines that you're seeing in the two groups that they've identified so far that are doing it. So there's something there. Um, more can learn the behavior either from learning it directly from a mother or by imitation by other individuals. That has been seen in many marine mammal populations, um, including you know many different types of foraging behaviors. Uh, certain behaviors in humpback whales um, have been shown to. Uh, a, 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 it was a slight change in how they bubble net feed. They did like a little tail tail flick or something like that, and then that spread throughout the population with other individuals that were in the vicinity of an animal that was doing that. So mm -hmm. social learning across not family lines is also a, a thing that happens a lot in marine mammals in certain species. Um, and then they did indicate that there were more interactions happening in 21, 2021 and 2022 that they didn't put into the paper because it was, you know, they're writing the paper as they're doing things. Um, but they are continuing to happen uh, and that new individuals are showing curiosity to whale watching boats. Um, so it seems that there, the social learning is likely occurring to some degree um, in this population, uh, and that could be that in uh, that goes forward into you know what are we going to do or how are we going to handle the situation because now we know that there are more individuals that are possibly doing it. Mm -hmm. So the issues that are surrounding this um, uh, this this issue is the first for mariner safety, right? You don't want to um, have to worry about going out and possibly having your boat sunk um, or just even damage to the point where you can't steer it. Um, then there's the conservation aspect for um, the whales because either they hurt themselves by playing with large boats, which can certainly happen, or the you know mariners will hurt the whales because they're afraid and they're trying to make them stop hitting their boat. So this is 
increasingly an issue here because it is an endangered subpopulation. It would be the same as if the same thing was happening up here in the southernmost killer whales. It's a different thing than if it's a larger population of animals. You're not as worried about, you know, if some of them are don't do well because of this behavior, it's not going to impact the population, but it will if there's only like 39 individuals. You know, anyone that's lost is going to be a, an issue. So there's mm -hmm. that. Um, and so they ended with it being an urgent need to conduct research that would help to understand the behavior of these animals and to implement mitigation measures. You can't implement mitigation measures unless we know what more of what's going on. So that's the paper. <laughs> Just have everyone take a minute to take that in. That was a right. lot of information. That was that. Um, so we have these two family groups, at least to some degree, or like the juveniles. So again, I think what's really interesting is that again, those, those grandmothers or the mothers and grandmother um, that are there, but didn't, but didn't tell them to stop, you know, like it's like mm -hmm. she babysitting and it's like, oh, whatever, go do whatever you want. I just want to do. <laughs> um, but that's an, I think that's an interesting aspect where you have indiv individuals that are in the vicinity that don't do it. So it's not like, oh, everybody, everybody's learning to do it and everybody's doing it. Right, it's still mm -hmm. certain individuals, and so why? Why are those individuals versus others doing it? Right, and quite a few of them were younger animals. So, juvenile having juvenile juveniles in there is always an indication of um, juveniles are more likely to get into trouble. It's kind of a general rule. I and I will say that the orcas have a kind of a, I'm not sure about this particular subpopulation if they live quite as long, but I know, you know, mm -hmm. for the vast majority of orcas, they have a very similar timeline in their, you know, in their maturity to humans, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they actually live a very similar duration to humans. So when we say juveniles, those are kind of their teenagers, right? So just right. kind of, again, that's, that's just sort of the age class that we're you know, for that particular group that we're dealing with here. So, and they, you know, again, as, as we've mentioned in the paper and just in general, you know, these animals do play, they do engage in, you know, with, with new different behaviors and, and exploring different other ways to do things. So just, again, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about that sort of like juvenile group plus the, the additional group, you know, it's very interesting. Yeah. And, and play behavior is extremely important in, in their social structure and in their society, just as it is with ours, like that, you you play you play fight and you play around and learn what you can and cannot do with each other, right? You learn yeah. in a safe place these the skills that you're going to need as you get into an adult. And so, and this is true for many, many, pretty much every social species. Play is an important aspect of growing up, uh, and so it just happens that they may be playing with things that are inappropriate. <laughs> But they're in their environment so how are we to say that it's wrong that they're doing it right that mm -hmm. it's, is it different than them playing with some other coral or something else like that you know it is because it involves us but it's it's just them you know possibly learning about their environment or learning mm -hmm. hey i can't eat a boat okay good to know <laughs> <laughs> um so the issue that's going on now is the the media in the last few days really this this one was written a day ago it's probably even been the last week that this, these have all come out is the narrative that's being told in that, and I'll just give you that one title. There's you can there's like probably like dozens of different articles that have been written uh, across the globe for this, but Gladys the killer whale and her gang of orcas out for revenge in Gibraltar. So here's the problem: we we still don't know. We do not know what is going on with these animals, and this is as was given in the paper, a motivation. Yes, could an animal have been hit by a boat and been so angry that now they're you know, doing quote unquote revenge? Certainly possible because these are very intelligent animals and have emotions the way you know, in, in some, at least some ways that we do. Um, they, you know, they grieve for their young. They, um, they are you know, tactile and they're, they, they have relationships. So yes, could that be a thing? Sure, there is no evidence that has been put up that I could find anywhere that that gives credence to this idea, right? Mm -hmm. It's really pure conjecture. And that's the issue uh, that at least that I'm having with it is that it's it's a it's a it's a splashy headline. It's a sexy headline, right? You're gonna read that. You're gonna read that story. You're like, whoa, work is out for revenge. That's crazy. <laughs> 
but it's not telling the right story. Um, and some of them do better than others in the, in the articles about, you know, saying like, well, this is what people think, but it could also be this, this, and this. Um, but a lot of times, you know, so it, it, this is an example from one of them, um, from this the one I just read. Uh, an expert suggested a traumatized killer whale may be inadvertently teaching others to target them. So again, could it be true? Sure. But they're talking about, um, uh, they, they call it white Gladys, um, which is Gladys Blanca, right? You invert the adjective in between Spanish and, and English. So they're pinpointing her for no reason from what I can tell. Because if you remember in the paper, it was Gladys Negra who was the other group of in the two juveniles that were doing it. That's the only one that had this open head wound that they still don't even know what it's from. There's nothing indicated that Gladys Blanca has had any kind of interaction with a past boat or injury or anything that I can find. Um, so, and I think when Kat and I were talking about this earlier, I was like, why did they pick out White Gladys? Like, why is she the one that they're doing it? And I think maybe it's because she's the one, it's the whole family, her whole family's kind of doing it because it's her and her two sisters and then her her offspring. Um, so maybe that's what they're kind of pointing to is that she's the, the central point there. And so therefore, if, if something happened to her, then the other ones would, would learn from her because they're hanging out with her and they look up to her or whatever. Because I think the other two, she, I think she's the oldest kid um mm -hmm. of the other mother so but there's there's but there's no evidence <laughs> I, I mean i just i don't understand i mean i go well, i guess i do i do understand that they're doing it because that's flashy um and because things have escalated now there have been it's what three sunken boats i think mm -hmm. at least yeah yeah so we've gone now from basically just damaging rudders and steering so that they can't go and then they get disinterested and they leave to the point where you're actually sinking vessels. Now still everybody's been able to be rescued, which is great. Um, but they're, they're, they are sinking vessels, whether that's on purpose or not. Um, so that's where things have gotten escalated. And so now you're, they're going with that revenge story. But I think it's really important that that's not the, that's not the narrative that should be talked about. Like the science is showing that we do not know why these animals are doing it. Can you talk about each motivation? Yes. And the credence for it? Sure. Yes. But we still don't know. Yeah, I think the biggest problem is that the, the narrative really should be we need to be out studying these animals and mm -hmm. actually monitoring these animals much more than we apparently are in order to figure out what the heck they're doing when during the period that they're not attacking boats, right? What are they doing in their off time? Are right. they actively foraging? Are they are they hanging out? Are they actually able to catch fish? Are they starving? Like we don't, there, there's been nothing about what these animals are doing in general mm -hmm. that would then put context to this specific behavior. Um, and actually just, I mean, even as we were going through that paper, one narrative that I find very interesting that it's not been suggested at least on, not on any of the, the recent media posts that i've seen is they acknowledge in the paper that these boats are traveling at the speeds that their prey travel at mm -hmm. is this simply i mean again this is my my conjecture so i'm just throwing this out there as another potential idea but is this just training for catching bluefin tuna right the southern residents have been shown to do that with other fish species aside from salmon they yeah, will we do that with the other dolphin species too. You see them we, in the in the Bahamas. They practice on barjacks that they don't eat. Right. Yeah. Right. So we know that they do this with other things beside just their prey source, no. because catching that prey is essential to their survival. Right. In a population that is so depleted in numbers, why is this also not a narrative that we're talking about as a potential reason? I mean, they talk about play, right? right. So maybe this is being lumped in beside or alongside prey, but. Interesting that they're they're targeting boats that are forcing them to go at the speeds that they would have to go at to catch a tuna successfully. Mm -hmm. It's juveniles and a mother and her offspring and her sisters, a family unit, which again, we know that that is part of how they also hunt yeah, typically in the wild. So again, it's just, it, there are other reasons that would also in my, you know, in, in my head would be equally valid as a potential reason for this behavior that, I haven't seen anyone talking about this being a potential like prey learning or prey capture sort of mm -hmm. trial. Um, 
And again, maybe, you know, getting something that actually moves and responds to you back in the environment, yeah. that's more stimulating, right. right? It's like a, it's like a cat playing with a mouse rather than a toy. Right. If the thing actually moves back when you do something to it and responds to you doing something to You're it, that's better how learning. That response happens. Yeah. Right. So just, again, just another thing to, to kind of throw into the mix as a, as a sort of conjectural point. But again, I guess my overall point being there are multiple reasons why they could be doing this behavior mm-hmm. that don't necessarily fall neatly into one of these two categories. And I find it very interesting that these are the two that are only the only two that are being talked about. Well, it has to be either play or vengeance. Right. Why? Right. Yeah. Right. These are yeah. complex animals, you know, for sure. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, the, the only difference there is that the boats are much larger than their normal prey, but if you're, you know, kind of going after, but they're only targeting the rudder. Right. Yeah, exactly. The mm-hmm. smaller thing and you're and and yeah, so there are, and that, and that's the thing I, I think I'm really frustrated with is that the, like there, the narrative is wrong here and there should be more talk about all these other things. Um, and so here, here's another thing from it. The boat's captain, um, told the uh, magazine that the two smaller whales imitating the ramming tactic of the largest orca believed to be a matriarch named White Gladys, which believed, again, they don't know. They don't know that was her. Um, the little one shook the rudder at the back while the big one repeatedly backed up and rammed the ship with full force from the side. The two mm-hmm. little orcas copied the bigger one's technique and with a slight run-up came darting towards the boat, mainly on the rudder, but also the keel. And then two days previously, six orcas rammed the hull of a Bavaria cruiser in an encounter lasting an hour near Tangier. So now there's now there's six orcas, right? So it's not just White Gladys, right? Um, but again, is how are they learning? Are they learning it from each other? Uh, did they one see it and then they did it? Or they did they all start doing it on their own? Who knows? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, Cap is right. There needs to be this other, besides just play and just revenge, right? It's mm-hmm. likely much more complex than that. Um, yeah. I would like to bring up uh, another article that was I was so thankful. So NBC did orcas sank three boats off the coast of Portugal, but don't call them killer just yet. So it was nice to see that some other media ones were picking up and not running with that same narrative, right? That there mm-hmm. is these other options. And so this is actually uh, was referenced by or was interviewed. Um, they interviewed Monica Wyland Shields, who's a from the Orca Behavior Institute here in the Sailor Sea. Uh, and, uh, I think she did a really good job of saying like, it's, we don't, um, you know, we don't know why they're doing this and it, it could very likely just be play. Um, and so to go with the revenge thing, this is quote from the article, they've certainly had reason to engage in that kind of behavior. She said, there are places where they are shot at by fishermen. They've watched family members be taken from their groups into captivity in the sixties and seventies, especially here in the sailor sea. Uh, and if something was going to motivate direct aggression, I would think something like that would have done it, right? So if this is purely aggression, why wouldn't the Southern residents here be ramming boats all the time since the 70s, mm-hmm. right? They we literally took their babies from them while they watched. That's mm-hmm. pretty traumatic. Um, and granted, every individual is different. So, um, but there's this other idea too, uh, that so it's, it's it, there's no other fatal attack. So why on why on earth they suddenly started doing it? I mean, maybe one animal was really traumatized by it, sure, but it doesn't really track with the global um, information with that. Um, but the other one is it, just a, a, a kind of funny side one is, you know, what we call fad behavior. Um, mm. So it's basically like someone comes up with this like cool thing and everybody does it. Like, look at the 80s. We all had leg warmers on. <laughs> spiky hair everybody did it now we're like oh my god that's terrible i mean some of it's coming back now but um you know here in the sailor sea they uh, they they swam with salmon on their heads for like a year Mm -hmm. that was like the cool thing to do and then they stopped doing it and it likely comes up with juveniles right they're doing something and everybody's like oh gets on board and then it goes out of fashion right Mm -hmm. um so she says, this feels like the same type of thing there where one whale played with the rudder and said, hey, this is a fun game. Do you want to try it? <laughs> and it's the current fad for that population of workers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and she but she did not dismiss the trauma response theory out of hand. She said it would be difficult to confirm without more direct evidence. Right. So, again, mm-hmm. we're not saying that that's not something that could be. It certainly can. But we really need to know more. Um, and I like the end of the quote here. Um, we know their brains are wired to have really complex emotions. And so I think they could be capable of something like anger or revenge, she said. 
But again, it's just not something that we have seen any examples of, and we've given them plenty of opportunities throughout the world to want to re take revenge on us for various things, and they just choose not to. Mm -hmm. So could they do it? Yes. Is it? Is that probably the case? Uh, I mean, we don't know, but I tend to think, again, this is my own opinion, probably not. I, I think it's more of a play behavior, or as Kat was saying, play slash working on your skills for um, catching fish. And especially if the fish are less, you're going to have to practice on something. And there's, guess what? There's more boats. Mm -hmm. So it's an easy thing to, um, to pick on. So mm -hmm. we just wanted to kind of remind everybody that when you see these news stories, you know, try to look at a bunch of them. Like it took me quite a few clicks to get to one that was, that was like this, that was the other side of the revenge argument. Right. Um, so it's important to read those with a grain of salt, you know, and kind of really think about what's being said and re read the quotes within the article from the experts, which are oftentimes not exactly what's being said in the title, right? Clickbait mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and then what's another, just a little, the last point I want to bring up before we go uh, is that a lot of people were, were using this as an example. See, this is why we need larger regulations against being, you know, closer to the animals, right? Having larger distances that you have to stay away from boat from from the animals but that's exactly the wrong argument because you you can't tell white gladys be like um excuse me i'm staying a thousand yards away from you or 100 yards or 200 whatever the rule is um you need to stay away right that yeah. you can't stop an animal from coming to your boat mm -hmm. the regulations and these hard. animals are obviously coming intentionally to the boats and sneaking up on them so they know the boats are there they could go the other direction they're choosing to interact with those boats for whatever reason exactly and that's an important thing to, I, I guess people just don't put that together right it's like that yeah you can we should have regulations about staying away from animals absolutely but that's not going to stop an animal who wants to come to your boat there's mm -hmm. nothing you can do about that Mm -hmm. um so that's the way we have to look at it too right that this is going to happen probably regardless for however long it's happening whether it's a fad or a play or just something that's now going to be part of that population so we have to be able to mitigate in a way uh, from our own actions how to reduce issues because there's nothing we, we can't talk to them and tell them to please stop <laughs> unfortunately um yeah. so it's an it's an important thing to remember of what we can do mitigation wise and it's probably going to be more on our end than anything else um mm -hmm. to keep people safe and 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 the whales safe as well it's, it's for everybody's benefit to have this not happen right both of them um, and i think that's a really important to remember as well not just about protecting people or just protecting the whales it's about protecting everybody who wants to use those waters mm -hmm. so that's why yep. we need to know more about the animals and be discerning when you're reading the news kids exactly yeah those are two main points we need more research done on these animals so we can better understand them and make sure that you are doing your, your background research when you're reading these articles because they can be misleading and not exactly what the researchers even are trying to say, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how much uh, the direct quotes from the researcher that did the study, um, you know, I don't know how he, they feel about the way that the narrative is running, right? Um, there's, when you do, when you do interviews, you do the best you can, you give the information as, uh, as well as you can, but then the journalists are the ones that are writing it. So um, they can take a spin on it that's maybe slightly different than what you were intending. Um, and so you have to keep that in mind too as you're reading, um, that there's a difference between what the researchers are saying sometimes um, and what the final written uh, journal article is because everybody writes a little bit different um, and has a different tangent on things. So so more research is needed and make sure you do your background research on your on when you're reading your articles. Um, so that's it for us uh, this week. Hopefully that sheds some light on uh, the background of what's going on with these animals and what we need to do um, for the future and um, to understand how conservation and uh, media and policy all work together and sometimes are difficult um, to make the right decisions um, based on the information that we have. So uh, with that, next week we'll do a marine mammal highlight. So uh, make sure to look on our social media, Instagram, and uh, stories to vote for who you want next. And I don't know who's going to be up for, for the competition, um, but it'll be two good ones because all marine mammals are awesome. So, so um, I think with that, uh, we will see you next time. Oh, and don't forget, we have our, our merch. Um, our, we have some cool t-shirts and other uh, merch items. Please visit our store, our bonfire store. 
you can get to that link on our website. Um, and donate if you can. Um, that helps us do our research and helps us to continue to do these fun uh, podcasts for you. So um, have a great couple of weeks and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M, to learn more about us, our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.